Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the Oklahoma Education Association. Friday, uh, Fried Okra, it is Friday, and I'm glad (laughs) for that, but this is Fried Okra, a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. We're joined this morning with our first guest, Paul Shin, a budget and tax senior policy analyst with Oklahoma Policy. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. How are you? Well, let's uh, let's visit. Uh, we have a lot of budget questions because there seems to be uh, so much unknown right now. Um, so we're going to need. Not everybody here is a math teacher, so we're going to need some uh, break it down. <laughs> Um, there's a lot going on. Um, and, and Paul, you have a background in, in such a wide range of experience from working for cities to the state house of representatives to consulting federal agencies. Um, and now you're with, um, Oklahoma policy. And so what, um, exactly what do you think is, is going to happen? Uh, the legislature is expected to come back on Monday and they're going to start working on a budget, but there's so much that's still unfolding and still changing and developing. Um, how are they even going to do that? How can you, how can you know what's going to happen next week or a year from next week? Well, you can, and all that experience you mentioned, I've never seen anything like this. Mm. None of our elected officials have ever seen anything like this. None of us have. Um, And so, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of time that's kind of feeling their way. Uh, From press reports, it's clear that uh, legislative leaders, particularly the the appropriations chairs, have been thinking about this very hard. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that... uh, They have a plan. The first order of agenda, though, is, you know, in normal times, they don't have to argue about how big the budget is going to be because that's kind of fixed in our state law process. Mm -hmm. Um, At this point, though, the budget could be anywhere from, say, a billion three, which is like 20 percent lower than the current budget to, you know, it could be uh, they could adopt a budget that's only $250, $300 billion less than the current budget, which is still a lot, way too much. So how do, you, how do you even begin finding that common ground? Because it seems like there are so many different projections. Is that a, is that a political negotiations process or is that a um, more of a budget analyst process? How does that even work? Uh, well, obviously, everything is political. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I think there, go, there are a lot of technical questions, too, that um, I haven't worked out in my head. Uh, is it, you know, is it in the long run, does it work out better if you overestimate versus underestimating? Yeah. Um, and are there things that you can do? Uh, to cushion the damage if you overestimate and then you, you know, have to ask everybody who, who uses state funds to reduce later. I don't have an answer to that. Um, I think ultimately, as I said, everything is political. It's about what you think is, is appropriate in government, what you mm-hmm. think is the most important in government. Yeah. Um, it's also a, a, a kind of exercise in creativity to find out, you know, are there where are there additional monies that we can use to patch holes? Um, and I'm sure that, 
Right now, those budget chairs, uh, uh, Senator Thompson and Representative Wallace, are probably working on the technical things mm-hmm. to see how close they can get before they, you know, the entire legislature needs to work out the political thing. You mentioned patching holes in the budget. That seems to be something that people kind of disagree on. How how big is the budget shortfall going to be and for the fiscal year that is coming up, the one that starts July 1, fiscal year 21? If you were to go with the tax commission's estimate that they've shared with the legislature, um, the budget would be uh, about $1.3 billion lower. That would be about a 20% cut. If you go to the Board of Equalization's estimates uh, from February, which are controlling. I mean, they set the maximum. Um, that was about a $260 million reduction, and that's, you know, 4%. So yeah. um, that's the range. That's a that's, huge range. It seems massive. I, I am no budget expert, but that just seems like a huge difference. Huge amount. Yeah. If, and if you miss by one of those, you don't even get partial credit in that. <laughs> right. Um, but there are other sources of funds other than on the ongoing funds. Of course, there's the rainy day fund. There's the, uh, um, revenue stabilization fund. Those have roughly $500 million still available. Uh, how to use it is complex. Um, some of it has more flexibility than others, but it's certain that the legislature, uh, is, has no choice but to, use some of those savings uh there are the all the next place they always look is revolving funds uh that are in agencies hands that come from other than tax sources um most of it from fees uh and they won't you know in bad years they always find um two three four hundred million dollars that they can either take or borrow from those funds, and I'm sure that they're looking really hard at that. Something that has happened in the past in very bad years, and we feel strongly needs to happen this year, is they need to look at all of the money that doesn't normally flow through the budget. Um, You know, there's a lot of gross production taxes on oil and gas that goes directly to cities, counties, school districts, retirement funds. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, miscellaneous uh, gas taxes and motor vehicle taxes that largely go to transportation uses. Uh, it's not my job to pick winners and losers there. It's mm-hmm. the legislature's job, and they're going to have to just um, – determine uh, if some of those needs on a short-term basis are less than the needs of continuing the state's basic services like education and public safety. And clearly, healthcare has to be really, really high on our list right. this year. I, I mean, it's sort of, as an analogy, it's sort of what a lot of us are doing as families because our budgets are changing so dramatically expenses we used to have, maybe we don't have as many anymore or things are changing. And um, it's really seems like a kind of an evaluation of what's important to you. And so what's important to the state. Absolutely. And um, you know, what's in, uh, what's important changes over time. And that's one of the problems I think with the way we set so much aside for direct uses, um, 
every one of those had a reason mm-hmm. uh, that it should be, you know, insulated from the budget. But you need to look at those from time to time to see if those really make sense. And um, our big takeaway from this whole uh, incredible and heart-wrenching event is job two, after we patch this year's budget, has to be to use, we would argue, almost every minute of next legislative session to start fixing this, to decide what our priorities are, to make a tax system that is more stable and is more fair uh, and is more dependable, and make sure that the vast majority of our taxes that are collected are subject to the legislature's decisions and not to laws made by people, you know, who are no longer alive, uh, and that we have a more transparent system so we can see how legislature, how the legislature makes the decision and hold them accountable for doing yeah. things we love and things we hate. Right. And we hadn't even gotten into diversification of our economy. Yeah. You Absolutely. Know. Yeah. I mean, we have to, um, if, if we learn nothing from this, it is now is the time to fix this. Um, cycle of, you know, slow growth, gigantic fail, mm-hmm. slow growth, gigantic fail. Um, that is horrible for Oklahomans. Um, it is not the way to have an economically robust state. It's not a way to become top 10 in anything. Yeah. Uh, and we have, you know, this is the time. Uh, this is not an impossible thing to do, and I think we just really need to to make that job one, or call it job two. Job one is make sure that we can educate our children, that our higher education system is ready to make the investments in people that mm-hmm. we have got to make, that we can ensure more Oklahomans, and that we can rebuild a public health system that we've let really deteriorate over the last 10 years. Absolutely. Um, So let's circle back to some of the, you know, stopgap measures. Uh, We keep seeing that Congress is passing relief bills and we've seen estimates that we should be getting, our state should be getting something like 1.5 billion from the federal government to address the disaster. Do you know where that money is and and can it fix some of our budget problem for the upcoming year? Uh, boy, that's so hard to say. Uh, the it, that that part of the the relief is called the coronavirus relief fund. Um, it goes to states and to large local governments. So the state of Oklahoma will get about one and a quarter billion dollars. Okay. Uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma County, and Tulsa will get the other two hundred fifty million. Okay. Okay. Congress made that really difficult to use to make up. Um, you know, to just they say you can't use it for things that were already budgeted, well, and so you can't <laughs> make up a revenue shortfall with that. Yeah. Um, obviously, our governor and our let's our our congressional delegation, and you know, virtually every governor uh, 
and leg- congressional delegation in the country has been pushing the Treasury Department to, you know, be more flexible on that. I don't think they'll be able to do it unless Congress agrees to do that. One of the things we need to think of, if if it turns out that we cannot use that just to fill revenue holes, then we need to use it really creatively, um, both to address things that uh, were not in the budget and are essential right now, like um, you know mental health services, yes. like the cost, the cost for schools and colleges for going to online, um, probably the cost for schools for um, changing the way nutrition programs operate. Uh, there are things we can do in childcare. Uh, one of the things that we can do with that money is directly support businesses and people who are going to have a really hard time making it through the next three to six months to however long it is. So um, the important things there are first, we need to keep pressure on Congress uh, to let us be more flexible. And second, if they can't, we have to have really high expectations of ourselves to use that money wisely, both for things that uh, are essential direct responses to the virus and things that um, are maybe a little more outside the box of ways to invest in a quicker economic recovery. Well, thank you so much, um, Paul, for explaining that. Those are huge concepts and and something that maybe isn't always in our wheelhouse is understanding the interplay of federal and state funding right and during a pandemic so um it's there's just so much there there's so much discussion there are so many different numbers out there um we appreciate you summarizing it and explaining it um in a way that we can easily understand because it's something that's going to directly affect everybody's lives and especially those folks who work in um, the public sector Absolutely. And, and, um, you know, those people who work in the public sector and particularly in the education sector, uh, we need to support them and we need to make sure that we don't continue to do long term damage to that important part of our society and our economy. And I appreciate what you all are doing in that regard. Thank you. And you know, at the OEA, we are big fans of Oklahoma policy and the work that you guys do. So thank you so much for uh, coming on Fried Okra. And, uh, and we are excited about getting this kind of information out to our members. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. And let's do this again when we have too much money. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Now it's time to shift gears a little bit, and uh, instead of co-hosting, I'm going to put uh, Alicia on the spot here as a guest, and we also are joined on the phone by our member, Chuck Pack. How are you, Chuck? I am well. How are you guys today? Great. Doing good. Um, we're going to talk today about the PAC, um, and Alicia, you serve as the chair of our PAC committee. Yes, the and, Fund for Children in Public Education. Yes, and Chuck, you've been a, a longtime PAC donor and, and um, very active in the PAC as well. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing this for a lot of years. So first of all, explain um, 
Uh, Alicia, can we start with you? Sure. Explain what the function of the Political Action Committee is and how it's separate from OEA. Well, no dues dollars goes to support candidates in Mm -hmm. their election campaigns. Uh So the PAC, the Political Action Committee, the Fund for Children and and Public Education is what ours is called, uh, serves as that arm of, uh, of what we do to support candidates. So Any money that comes into our political action comes above dues dollars. It's Mm -hmm. members deciding, hey, it is important for us to get involved in the um, election process. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to give a set amount of money to to support candidates who support public education. I think that's a common misconception that it is that the dues dollars come from that, but it's completely separate. And so, Chuck, can you kind of share with us why that is important to you? Why, why, you know, I mean, everybody has so much going on and why is that something that you care about and have been involved in? Sure. So a lot of times in trying to talk to someone to uh, talk about becoming a member of OEA, they'll, they'll start out with a political conversation about not wanting to be involved mm-hmm. in politics. We mm-hmm. have to have the conversation about everything you do in public education. It's a public matter, so it is, yes. it's going to involve politics, right. and it's very important to be involved in politics. But your association, uh, that's not the, how we handle um, uh, politics. Mm-hmm. To do that, you need to go above and beyond your dues and make uh, a contribution. Get involved with uh, uh, helping elect candidates that are going to support you in your classroom and in your causes uh, support your students and so we have to have people we saw it um, during the walkout yep. uh, teachers rose up and said we're tired of having representation that doesn't actually represent us and we yep. want new representatives to do that takes takes dollars takes right. uh, it takes money but the amazing thing is it doesn't take that much money to really move the needle to to put good solid people into office who will listen to you and, and advocate on your behalf so I want to ask you guys about that. So something you just said, Chuck, about it doesn't take that much money. And when sometimes we think about political campaigns, it just it seems overwhelming that it takes so much money. So what kind of involvement does, you know, if I'm a member, what kind of what is that? What does that involvement look like? I mean, does it have to? What if I don't have an extra thousand dollars sitting around? <laughs> Who does? Right. <laughs> so um, so uh, I mean, as long as you donate something to PAC, you can be part of the pro- the entire process of the PAC. You can run for PAC council. Those are the people who make the ultimate decision on who it is that we support. You can serve on uh, the political action interview teams, which interview at the local level um, who is running for legislature. Um, and And it doesn't have to be even $100, we ask for our members to give $10 a year to PAC. Mm-hmm. And if all of our members gave $10 a year to PAC, we would um, we would be able to make a huge difference. So, Well, we can be a force to be reckoned with, which is mm-hmm. very minimal. And then when I first heard that, I remember Roy Bishop was our president, and, and he challenged us to, to give just a dollar a month, just $10, $10 a year, yeah. and see what we could do. And I thought, wow, that is really, you know, that's small. That's a yeah. small amount of money. I came back to our local and issued that challenge to, to our folks and started to move. We started to gain more more people saying, well, gosh, I can give that much. That's not, that's yeah. not that much. 
And then suddenly I had people who were on our executive committee saying, well, if that is powerful, could I give even more? Like, yes, mm-hmm. you can give more mm-hmm. and, and start to have some, um, flex some of your muscle that, that you're a voting member of society, but mm-hmm. you could also shape the direction of public education just with a little bit of money. And I think that's such a good point because, you know, sometimes we think about like, oh, well, I'm not wealthy. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. why would I get involved? I don't have thousands of dollars to give to campaigns, but there are thousands of us, you know, and... And if you talk to a candidate, uh, they'll tell you. If somebody that gives them a $25 check at a fundraiser has meaning to them. Yeah. Uh, you think about it. If yeah. A parent that gives you a $10 gift card to, to a local business, um, that, that endears you to them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. them to you. So you're like, that, that's meaningful when you, right. you say, I'm going to sacrifice of my dollars I don't have many of to support you. Uh, now you turn around and, and please advocate on my behalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 is, it really can move the needle. And as a member, when, when I gave my PAC money and, um, and saw who our list of recommended candidates were in my area, I wanted to go out and work for those candidates. Yeah. Walk for right. them, knock doors, you know, address mm-hmm. address labels. So let's talk about that. It, um, speaking of recommended candidates, explain how that process works. I mean, this is a very, it's a very organic process. I think that sometimes people don't always see, or maybe they're, you know, in in area of the state that might be less active. Explain how that is. It's a really member driven process. It's not just one or two people sitting in a room deciding, <laughs> right, you know, all the things. <laughs> Right. All um, all members who donate to PAC are allowed to vote for PAC council members mm-hmm. that represent their area. Okay. So um, so there's that. And then our OEA board, who are also elected by members, also sit on the PAC council. Mm-hmm. And so those folks are elected. But if, if somebody wants to be an OEA fund recommended candidate, mm-hmm. then they either go to their local and say, hey, I would like to be... A recommended candidate and the local brings their name forth mm-hmm. or they can call the OEA direct mm-hmm. that happens sometimes or just a member comes up and says hey you know we'd like to look into this race and so then I get a list of the members who donate to the fund for children in public education mm-hmm. and I start calling that list to see if they would like to be on the interview team we bring the candidates in that um, we ask, we we send, we extend an invitation to them. Mm-hmm. Not all the candidates choose to come mm-hmm. and be interviewed, um, and so we can only act on those that want want to go through our process. But everybody has the option. But everybody if has you, the option. If you're getting into whatever that maybe a house district, yes, everybody that runs for that is invited. Yes. Okay. That's and then um, and then our members. We have a set list of questions, mm-hmm. and we ask the uh, the candidates the same questions, and they are all about education policy. So, Chuck, I imagine you've been on several of those yes. <laughs> interview teams. Yeah. What's that like? I mean, what's that like to to go through that process, um, both as a member and as just a voter to interact with lawmakers and that or f- potential lawmakers it's- in that way. It's really a very positive experience, a good experience mm-hmm. that uh, as, as a classroom teacher, you could sit down with someone who's seeking an office. And, mm-hmm. and I want to emphasize, too, um, the OEA Fund for Children Public Education is all about Oklahoma politics. Yeah. And so there are, there, it's local. 
And so these are our friends and neighbors who are seeking um, an office, a public office. Mm-hmm. And to be able to sit down and say, gosh, I taught you. <laughs> You're my teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I want to know what you think, if you yeah. learned anything. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Share. Uh, and, and, or your neighbor that sits beside you in, in church, that they're now sitting there in a position where you're, you're having to say to them, what do you think about this? Yeah. How much thought have you given to this? How would you act, uh, you know, if it's collective bargaining, if it's uh, uh, due process, you name yeah. it. Those yeah. issues that affect us, where, where are you on these issues? And to begin to, to think with them, you build a, a relationship. Yeah. Uh, even if it's someone that you end up not recommending, you've still built a, a relationship. And we've, we've had candidates. I remember we have a member in the House right, right now. Uh, that uh, we talked with him, and he said, now I, I get that you may not be able to recommend me mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons. There was another candidate that, that was actually more attractive to us, um, better aligned with our issues. And he said, I understand that you're going to probably not endorse me, but I want you to know I'm still going to work with you. Well, he ended wow. up winning that race, yeah. and we do. We work well together right. still. So it doesn't have to be an ugly issue, right. and it can be local people. But I've also said on them when it was uh, our candidates for governor or candidates mm-hmm. for superintendent, uh, state superintendent. So it's all Oklahoma races, and it's just a um, such a rewarding experience to be involved in. It all starts with you have to be a pack donor. You have to give right. something. It doesn't have to be a lot. You have to give something, and then you can find yourself in an interview team. Oh, and I wanted to say, too, uh, these are Democrats, Republicans, independents. Um, the interview committee will, will be a mix of, of parties, of people. So yeah. it really is a nonpartisan process. Because our membership is is, is represented Pretty evenly. Pretty evenly 50-50. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then what happens after the interview process? Does that that group? That group makes a recommendation to the um, PAC, either the PAC steering committee or the PAC council. Um, if the PAC council doesn't have a meeting scheduled for a long time and we need to get on this recommendation, then a group that is elected from the PAC council, mm-hmm. which is called the PAC steering committee, mm-hmm. then um, then makes uh takes that recommendation and decides you know based on funding and mm-hmm. and all of these different things how how much money that we can give to that candidate mm-hmm. um and then uh if the pack council the full pack council is meeting then we send that recommendation on to the pack council mm-hmm. as a pack steering recommendation as well if not then the pack steering committee makes that decision and then that's the decision that goes forward it's a lot of layers of members. Yes. Represented. Everyone, yeah. yes. Everyone from PAC steering to the PAC council is elected. And um, it's not, I mean, this is just like you said, Chuck, this is nonpartisan. We, OEA, rec- our FCPE recommends uh, candidates from both parties. Absolutely. Right. Um, well, it's uh, it's a, it's an election year. And uh, we have a, a lot of candidates that will be up for election in January, January, June. I don't know what day June. it is. What, what <laughs> the, I have no idea. Is it, it's Friday because we're in this room. So yes. I know that's the only way I know it's Friday. Um, in, uh, in June, there are a lot of candidates that are going to be up for election because they ha- only have uh, a primary opponent, nobody in the general election. So even though it's not November, probably time that we need members to chip in. Absolutely. That's what makes the difference that, you know, um, to have the recommendation from the OEA Mm -hmm. from the largest education association in the state uh, is a coveted, is a coveted thing for those running for office. 
Yeah. Well, all right. And to act early is, is important because it's, it's this time of year that you start to, to recommend candidates that then you can, um, if the fund council or the steering committee recommends, let's go ahead and fund that. A $500 check to a candidate allows them then to do a mailer or to right. have a, um, a, a tea or a town hall or something like that to host. And they can use those dollars to reach um, voters. So right. this is the time of year to really be, in, be involved with that uh, as we move through the primaries and then to the general election. It needs to happen before those, those key dates. And because the candidates haven't been able to get out and walk and knock doors and, you know, mm-hmm. get their face out there and get their message out there, they're having to do it in different ways, including uh, more mailers or doing social media type things, um, which cost a different, cost more money than knocking doors. Right. All right. I've got, I've right. got another question about giving. Um, how, how do people give? Is it a one-off? Is it a payroll is it a how do, how are people what are people's options they can write a one-time check they can do payroll deduction they can um credit card mm-hmm. uh we, we've got various different ways in which you can give and you get to choose whether you want it to be a one-time donation uh that you then do you know you write the check every year or you can um or, or you can sign up to payroll deduct. Uh, and you can get all of those details and connect to that at okeea.org slash FCPE, which stands for Fund for Children in Public Education. That is correct. So, okay. Well, thank you so much, Chuck, for joining in. We uh, really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Alicia, for answering all the questions. I guess we'll let you go back to being a co-host now. That, that I'm more comfortable on that position. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> Grill me anytime you want. <laughs> and here's Alicia's announcements on Fried Okra OEA's podcast. So one of the things that I want to talk to you about is one of our partner companies, Horace Mann, and they are helping educators by uh, to adapt to remote learning by sponsoring easy access to Health World's e-learning library with hundreds of virtual lessons on health, safety, social, emotional learning, and brain breaks. You can find out more information about that at Horace Mann. H-O-R-A-C-E-M-A-N-N dot com slash teaching hyphen online. Horaceman dot com slash teaching hyphen online. So go check out those uh, virtual lessons. Um, the NEA Foundation COVID-19 response team has uh, created three new grants. So those are from $1,500 to $5,000, three new grants on teaching and learning. The first is due May 14th, the second May 28th, the third June 11th, and they are paying particular attention to uh, projects that identify and address pertinent educational equity opportunity gaps that have been exacerbated by the pandemic. So the NEA Foundation's Rapid Response Funding is supporting educator-led initiatives, and I hope that you will go on the NEA Foundation page and check that one out, too. I I think the summary for that grant should be, what is frustrating you right now? Right, (laughs) right. Please let us help close that gap. (laughs) Do your kids have access to internet? 
Do they have the technology that they need? Mm -hmm. uh, have you been able to reach them? Yeah. Because, you know, in like our biggest county is Osage County, mm -hmm. and it, it could be miles and miles and miles. Oh, yeah. And so reaching your students mm -hmm. is just impossible for some so uh so apply for those grants let's see let's see if we can bring money to our educators our members and to the kids that they're serving um and the last thing that i want to talk about is uh an unfortunate something um we are we are finding out that some of our members are experiencing unemployment fraud they uh they go on or they get a notice that they have uh um, registered for unemployment benefits. And in fact, they're, they are unemployed. neither unemployed <laughs> nor, yeah. uh, have they, have they filed for those benefits? So it's very frustrating. OEA is compiling a checklist of what you need to do if you have experienced that. Mm -hmm. But the number one thing is you need to file with the Oklahoma Employment Securities Commission via email. And the email address to that is fraud at oesc.state.ok.us. Um, and one of our members that I talked to last night, uh, he had to file a police report and everything. And it's frustrating. And this kind of stuff makes me crazy as if, as if things aren't rough enough right now. Like this is when crooks love to come out of the woodwork. I, I, I mean, I can't even I fathom know. thinking that Which way. Which is best. Yeah. Cause you're not a jerk. <laughs> right. Um, so I just need some positive news. I don't know what month it is. <laughs> people are stealing other people's social security numbers. I need some positive news, Alicia. Yes. It's your birthday yesterday. It was. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, did anything embarrassing happen to you on your birthday? Because that seems like a, a birthday requirement in adulthood is like people well, harassing you. It was a... Uh, 12-hour meeting marathon day. Yeah. Uh, zoom, <laughs> zoom, day. zoom all day long. <laughs> but ended with an NEA PAC meeting uh -huh. where uh, a group of president friends decided that they all should put my picture as their <laughs> virtual background. So. Yes. Then just have, what you wanted. Yes. Then the other presidents <laughs> were texting me going, uh, why, why do 15 people have your picture as the background? I'm oh like, my oh, gosh. Yeah. You're like, because they couldn't find a picture of Joe exotic. Yes. <laughs> Which was my virtual background actually. <laughs> well, happy birthday, Alicia. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us today on fried okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Copernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma education association. And I'm Alicia priest, president of the OEA. We hope you'll join us again next week on fried okra. Remember to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. And until next Friday, keep fighting the good fight for public education.